The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome, as always, to the Paul Leslie Hour. We're glad you're here. For those who would like to support the Paul Leslie Hour, you can go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat. If you like true stories and the good old kind of country music, Gary Adams is about as great an interview subject as you could get. An instrumentalist, singer, songwriter. Some of you might know him as one of the Adams brothers. He's worked with just about all of the greats from George Jones, Johnny Paycheck, Marty Robbins, just to name a few. Gary Adams, thank you very much for making the time and speaking with us. It's my pleasure. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. Where do you call home? Greenfield, Ohio. It's probably centralized by Cincinnati and Columbus and Dayton and Portsmouth, right about the center of all those, southwest Ohio. If you could describe the environment of Greenfield, how would you say it's like? Well, it's kind of naturally, it's changed with the times and all that, but uh, it was kind of a unique place because everybody around here seemed like they had not just wasn't talented, but they had exceptional talent. There were so many for per capita, I'm saying. There were some great uh, singers and, and uh, musicians that came out of uh, Greenfield and we happened to be in that in that crowd, so it was a kind of unique. And then, of course, that's where Johnny Paycheck was born and raised. And so, like we always said, me and him went to the same reform schools together, and <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a trip just being from here. There's there's so many so much talent in this particular area. I mean, Daryl McCall came from Highland County, which is the county that we're living in, and. Uh, Greenfield, Hillsborough, and everything in the Highland County, there was really some pretty awesome talent come out of here. It's interesting because Ohio is maybe not some place where people would think of country music coming from, but you have Kentucky immediately to the south, and as you mentioned, mm-hmm. people like Johnny Paycheck, David Allen Coe is from Ohio. Yes, that's true, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Bobby Bear was from Portsmouth, and uh, John Thomas Connolly, I think that's his name, yeah. Uh, he was from Portsmouth, so there's been quite a few. And, of course, the legendary Roy Rogers was just right up the road from there under the name of Leonard Sly. So we all had a pretty good section of the pie covered here. <laughs> so your brothers all being musical guys, when did you all start playing together? Oh, goodness. I seemed to me like we always did. I know I thought I was about like three or four when I started playing. And, uh, of course, my dad and, and his brothers, they had a, uh, the original Adams boys back in the 30s and 40s. They played a lot of dances and stuff, square dances and what have you back in those days. And uh, it just kind of carried spilled over onto us at uh, this generation. My uncle John was a steel guitar player. His boy Joe was a steel guitar player, and 
So we had a pretty good band to start out with. My dad was a fiddle player. They had a couple other brothers that, that played with them. So it's just been a uh, kind of a hand down from the generations. So, and I don't know, I think my great uh, grand, or my great grandfather, my grandfather, I think they were fiddle players back in the old time. So that we, our roots are really grounded in country music. I want to go back for a moment to a very legendary name that you mentioned, Johnny Paycheck. Can you perhaps remember the first time you ever met Johnny Paycheck? I certainly can. It was down there. We lived uh, about four or five miles out of Greenfield at the time. And uh, we had a friend that lived right up the top of the hill from us in the Johnny Paycheck used to come down there and, and play with him. Now, I'm talking, I was four, about three or four years, four or five years old, somewhere in there. And the first thing I remember was he was kind of loud mouthing my couple of my other brothers. So they took him under the tree and gave him a lesson on how not to act if he was from the city when you're around real country boys. And he learned quite well. <laughs> Didn't take him long, but other than that, I mean, you know, that was the only conflict that we ever did have. And the, you know, we had that one thing in, in common. We all loved music. And uh, Johnny was a good player back then. And, and he used to show me little necks on the guitar when I was little. And uh, I just picked it up. And I, he was uh, probably the first person outside of the family because I came from a very large family. He was probably the first person I ever met that I can remember that was outside, that wasn't a cousin or something. We just kind of bonded from from the time I was a little kid till time he passed on. He's been like my my metal hero and my uh, my best friend ever. Just idolized him. He was just something else. He was a, a very unique human. He had, was extremely talented, and then he could do anything, you know, to to the level that it was uh, acceptable as far as uh, his his. Uh, Ability. He was a good steel player, good bass player, good, uh, well, not such a good drummer, but uh, he could get by. Of course, naturally, he was a great singer and songwriter. And that was something that was kind of unusual around here, somebody making up their own songs and stuff. And then we kind of got hooked up with him there and through a mutual friend in Greenfield here. And uh, he, uh, his name was Paul Angel, and he was kind of the mentor of the whole bunch. We'd all get over in his basement, and he would uh, record us with his uh, little tape, uh, uh, two-track thing there, and then and, uh, just had several several good, uh, great uh, pointers for upbringing, you know, getting us prepared, because uh, he knew we was all, you know, had just a little bit of an edge on most people as far as talent, and he knew we was going to go to Nashville sooner or later, and of course, paycheck had been in and out of there, and and uh, so it just kind of came together. I think that was just the way it was set up and designed. That that was our calling. We had to answer it. So it was quite a trip growing up in Greenfield. I was thinking the other day. I was listening to a whole lot of Johnny Paycheck music, and it was right before we spoke on the phone, and. I was so impressed with his voice, 
such a powerful and such a distinct voice. And sometimes I think he's left out when people are listing the great country singers. Well, I do too. And, uh, you know, I really, of course, uh, me being in there with him so much, I knew the respect that every, all the rest of the uh, singers had for him. You know, he did, he was never intimidated by George or anybody. He could just, he'd just jump up there and do his stuff and that was it. And most, just about all of them was a little bit intimidated by him because he was so good. And, you know, I mean, I'm a, a very, very critical when it comes to singing and stuff like that because my whole family was such a great singers that I just... Uh, paid real close attention because they sang on pitch and I never ever heard him sing a hit a bad note as long as I knew him my whole life. He was a an extremely talented for the country music field, uh, probably the most talented one of the whole bunch. Do you have a favorite song from Johnny Paycheck? Oh, I always liked to hear him sing Bojangles. Seemed like he just, uh, I just go into a trance when he would sing. Of course, we did it on the shows there, and uh, but I would just, I'd be sitting there, and he'd be, he'd be singing, and all of a sudden, I, my mind was fixed on. I could see the little old man out there on stage dancing, and he just brought that song to life. Well, I mean, he had so many good, but that was probably my my pick of the whole bunch as far as the the effect that it had on me. He took me to Bojangles' world and sat there and watched him dance. Very interesting. Of course, he had several. I mean, I don't know how many, 30, 35 albums or something like that. And then I was on a, a bunch of them playing guitar on a lot of them. And me and him wrote, uh, we wrote probably eight or ten songs total together. And then... Uh, he did one called The All-American Man that me and him wrote. It was a, more of a male chauvinistic. Uh, uh, had a little bit of that going for it. <laughs> but it got up to like, I think, 20 but it, on the billboard. But it was a uh, very controversial song back in the uh, women's lib movement days. And, uh, very unique, I thought. Yeah. And he, just, he was such a good writer. The many he wrote, uh, you know, like uh, Touch My Heart by Ray Price, which is a classic, probably one of the best uh, uh, songs that was recorded by Ray Price, I think. Department number nine, and then that's what brought Tammy Wynette out of the, out of the apron and put on her show, show uh, clothes and made a star out of her. And uh, He did the number one song for George, Nothing Better Once You Had the Best. He's just a, a, a tremendous, a tremendously talented person, and I sure miss him. I think about him every day, hmm. but he was my inspiration. So tell us about the first time you ever went into a recording studio. Well, let me think. I think it was down in Nashville, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was with George. We went into a... Oh, I know what it was. Yeah, we, you know, the, you'd get out on the road there and work with the the the, the uh, your singer, whoever it was, the, the artist, and the, and then when they'd get back to Nashville, they'd go in and record, 
and they would use the staff uh, recording people there. And I, I didn't set well with me, so I told George one day, I said, well, if you don't use me on the session, you get whatever guitar player you've got to uh, do the session with and see if you can get them to go out on the road with you. So I, I pretty much laid the <laughs> challenge of that thing. And then he got, he said, okay, well, then they got me and Don and Arnie, my brothers, and with the first recording that we did, after I'd prodded him for quite a while about that, you know, it was just something that didn't set well with me. If I was good enough to play on the radio, we ought to be good enough to play in the, on the record. So the very first song that we played was Races On. Now there, that went to number one and still, you know, a classic for George and the, I played guitar on it, and Don sang the tenor, and Arnie played drums on it. Well, that, that wasn't bad for openers because we just went right, right straight to number one with that. And that, from that point on, he used us just about all the time. So that was a unique experience. How would you describe the late George Jones? What kind of guy was he when you got to know him up close? Oh, he had a drinking problem, severe drinking problem. You know, he was a, a very, I th- always thought he was kind of troubled, had a troubled mind or something. He just, uh, I mean, he was a great person, don't get me wrong, but I'm just looking in, at the depth of him. He was, it seemed like he had a lot on his mind there, and then the only way he could release it was by singing real good, because he, with him and Paycheck there, I just, was pretty much in awe of sitting there listening to both of them get up and sing and and uh, of course they kind of they kind of dueled back and forth a little bit and that was a a great experience for me to get to hear that and be a part of it though and then uh, when I went to work for him uh, contrary to what whatever story he told on on TV there one time which was not as couldn't have been further from the truth. I went. I called uh, Paycheck and and uh, said, "Well, John, I just got out of school." I said, "I'm coming to Nashville." He said, "Well, meet me at Tootsie's." And I told my mom, "I said I want to go to Nashville, and uh, only twenty bucks. You could get down there and back on twenty back in them days in '61." And uh, so she uh, said, well, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I'm going to try to get me a job playing this guitar, and if I can't uh, get to." play the guitar or get a job, I'll just come back to Detroit or someplace and, and fool around with cars because that was my well, my second favorite thing to think about was cars. And uh, So anyhow, I well, got, drove down to my my cousin and me, went down to Nashville and went dropped this, out of Tootsie's there and walked in there and paycheck made us in there. And he, just as soon as I came in, he said, hey, guess who you're working with? And I said, huh, who? And he said, George Jones. And I said, uh, and at that time, it was 61, 62, and George was number one. And I thought, well, this is going to be easy here. <laughs> I had no idea what I was in for, but and I, that was kind of a unique thing. But what had happened was that George had called, called down to us and got a hold of paycheck. And uh, he said, hey, uh, Donnie, that's what his name, real name was, Donnie Lytle. He said, hey, and they went by that time, he went by Donnie Young, and he said, hey, Donnie, Donnie, it's the way George called him, said, hey, Donnie, I need a steel guitar player and a lead lead guitar player. And, uh, of course, some paycheck was out of work, and he said, well, I'd play steel, and said, I got a guitar player coming down from Ohio. 
I said, real good, you know, young kid. And so he said, well, he sent us some, sent Johnny some money and uh, so we could get out there. And so, I, and that's how I got started in the thing. And right, that's right off, off the bat, I seen that this guy here, this George is a pretty rough, uh, rough to work with. I mean, he's very temperamental and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, after I got, I kind of got used to what going on, wasn't all that well-mannered and stuff, but he had a little, of course, biggest part of the time he was drunk. Just this way he was. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he had good, I mean, George was a good person, but the whiskey was the, had the best part of him for just about all the time I worked for him. Hmm. Then he got into the cocaine and that was even worse. And that was enough for me. I was uh, back to the house with the, now, I was with him, I think, uh, from 61 to, oh, shoot, 66, and then went back to work with him in uh, 77, 76, 77, somewhere around there for a few months. And that was back when he was really bad on the cocaine because he called me and said, Gary, I need somebody. I need, I can't get anybody to work with him. And, uh, he said, I need a uh, need bank, and you guys can come down and play with me. And I said, well, yeah, we can. So I got a hold of Don and a couple of friends up here, and uh, we took off for Alabama and walked in there. And that's kind of a unique thing. There's George Jones. I mean, everybody knows how legendary he was. Went to his little, little common, like, like new house, but it wasn't nothing fancy. And he had a, a 78 Thunderbird sitting there. And, and uh, okay, walked in the house there, and he said, "You guys, you got any money?" And I said, "I've got about thirty-seven cents left." After we got down there, we just barely had the money to get to Alabama. And he said, "Well, I've got seventeen cents." He said, "Just give it here." <laughs> he said, and so I handed him my change. And he took, went to the patio and hit the hit the sliding window there, and said, "If we're going to be broke, let's be broke." So he threw it all out in the yard somewhere. Okay, I guess we'll just have to go for it. <laughs> but you know, we went, we did it. We did a couple of uh, all three or four dates there, and I, I noticed he was in that cocaine really, really bad. And uh, of course, this was after his split up with Tammy, and uh, so he would literally—I mean, not seriously—you know—he did that duck talk and stuff like Donald Duck, and. Uh, he would sit in there and get high on his cocaine and and just sit there in the bedroom and, and talk about Tammy and then answer her answer himself in the duck voice. Just like it's the third party and, I, <laughs> and the drummer said, Well, I swear I don't know about this. We might have got into something here we can't handle. Said he's he's serious about that. But that was just so you know what the cocaine was doing to him and so finally me and Don talked him into uh Hey, George, we, you know, we, you know, you're, you're embarrassing us. I said, we go out on stage and you can't even sing. You can just barely talk. And I said, you're embarrassing us. And if you don't stop it, we're going home. And, uh, he kept, of course, he kept telling us about this song. He said, well, was it? I mean, we was broke. The George was broke. And, 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 uh, you know, we'd get the date between, uh, 
every once in a while and get a little bit of money and then he'd uh, go through it and spend it and buy cocaine with it and we was lucky to get paid back then and um, so he kept saying well I've got this one song and he was singing and it was uh, he stopped loving her today I mean he'd sat there and sing it just he said boy is this going to bring us out of it so well, this is an awful good song. It's quite a bit, quite morbid, but I was kind of was partial to them anyhow. And I think with country music kind of supports a real sad, slobbering tearjerker is what he used to call them. And uh, so, well, you know, this could be right. So me and Don got George off to himself and said, George, listen, you want to do this, you're going to have to straighten up. You've got to stop the cocaine. You absolutely have to stop that. And uh, go check into a hospital and uh, get dried out, and then we can carry on with this. And then you can go to the studio, and you can record that, and we'll just go ahead. And so anyhow, we talked him into it, and I personally talked him into going back and signing with her, her Joining up with uh, Tammy and her husband, Dan, George Ritchie. And then, so anyhow, George had went, at, went to the hospital and dried out, and it took about a month. And then they called us and said George Ritchie was going to fire you guys because he thought you was a bad influence on uh, George. So, he, well, okay, whatever. So, and then the next thing you know, George had come out with that song, and there he was. It was just like... We'd said it would be. I mean, he he said it was going to bring him out of, and it did. It brought him brought him clear up to the biggest song he ever had. And uh, but anyhow, they they fired us because we was a bad influence. They said if they'd only known. But uh, that was just part of the deal. <laughs> when when you would see him behaving kind of strangely like using the Donald mm-hmm. Duck voice. What was going through your head yeah. when you saw this? <laughs> what would go through anybody's head? This guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were actually, when they got him in the hospital, they gave him an IQ test and he had an IQ of 62. Somebody said, well, that's it. Well, I was laughing about that. And we did that, uh, Tales of the tour bus. And it was kind of a live interview thing there. And was talking about George and, Brother said, I said, well, George had an IQ of 62. And then the brother said, well, what does that make you? And I said, just a little bit downer in hand because he was my boss. <laughs> I was working. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was an experience. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for nothing just uh, to, because of uh, the way the influence it rubbed off on me and my brothers and the, uh, it's got to be a part of something that was just country music history, really. Oh yeah. Well, it was a it was a trip, to say the least. Something I wanted to go into. A lot of the listeners out there are familiar with this animated series. Mike Judge presents Tales from the Tour Bus. I think they're really mm-hmm. very well done. There's all these stories that are told, the kind of stories that you would only hear on a tour bus, and you appear in the George Jones episode and also the Johnny Paycheck episode. What are your recollections from the making of that? What was that like to be a part of? 
Well, it was kind of strange. I mean, it was all, you know, they threw us in front of the camera there. And uh, I was kind of amazed at this taking, you know, uh, video on the stair. And then they'd flip a little button and all of a sudden we was cartoons. I kind of thought that was unique. I didn't know enough about that. Or they'd animated everything. But uh, it was a... it was a strange, strange kind of deal. My buddy, Rich Mullins, he got a hold of that and he said, we want to do this. And we worked out a little deal there and then uh, flew to uh, Hollywood there and then uh, got to meet Mike and that judge. And then, of course, the Beavis and Butthead and uh, uh, Hank Hill were some of my favorites. Uh, and, I, you know, I just felt like I already knew him. And then Mike said that one of, he said somebody had asked him, if you had one, one album you got to listen to the rest of your life, which one would it be? And he said, well, it was George Jones and the Adams Boys at the live at uh, some club in Texas in Houston. Dance Town USA, that was it. We did a live uh, album there. And uh, it, was, it came out, it was really good. I thought the live, you know, good sound and everything. And that, that's one of the Mike said he would, if he had the, Rogers, he would rather have that one as any album ever made. Pretty well set in stone. He was a Georgia Jones fan. <laughs> and uh, it was me and Don and Arnie and George and uh, Buddy Emmons playing steel and Little Red Haze on the fiddle and Rufus Thibodeau on the fiddle. And I mean, it was just a, a, a great live experience, which is usually they those things don't work. They kind of set up just a few microphones and stuff, and the engineers did, and we did it all live. And of course, they didn't release that thing for about 20 years. And then it came out kind of like an underground project, and it started, to, started getting everybody's attention. And it was really a good album. It's called The Dance Town George Jones Live at the Dance Town USA in Houston. And it's probably one of my favorite albums, especially since we got to record on that one. But it was live, and it was good. That's the best I ever heard George sing. And see, when he would get get really settled in, you couldn't beat him. I mean, there was nobody that could sing like George. Even Paycheck would tell you that. Of course, there wasn't a box sing like him either, but uh, it's hard to say which one was the best. I would probably put my money on paycheck just because I knew what kind of a background he had, but George was just as, I mean, I was saying he's my favorite singer. I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you which one was. Probably George. They, and they sounded quite a bit alike and they didn't, you know, people used to say, well, George is copying paycheck or paycheck's copying George. And I said, no, neither one of them's copying the other one. That's just the way they way they sing it's natural to them so it was a it was a trip getting to grow up and and be able to play with those guys especially with uh, johnny being your best friend from from your childhood we got to do a lot of things most people would just dream about it was worth it i think so when you saw these stories on the screen and there you are. You're you're basically a cartoon. What? Yeah. What is that like to see yourself animated? That has to well, be a, it was kind of like <laughs> kind of like this. Uh, huh? They've turned me into a cartoon. 
I told uh, Richie, why don't you, since I'm a cartoon, hook me up with that Jessica Rabbit? You remember her from <laughs> Leah. <laughs> yeah, so let me get a word and spread some ink in that direction there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of kind of strange, you know, you look at yourself. And, uh, so that's what I look like as a cartoon, huh? <laughs> yeah, but I kept trying to tell Mike, I said, can you trim that gut down a little bit there and put some black back in that hair? And <laughs> you, know, so, so you can't get me looking a little bit better than that. And get me down to Toontown and tell the Jessica Rabbit I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I wanted to get into your songwriting a little bit. Is it true that the last Marty Robbins cut was written by you? Yeah, yeah, it was called Baby That's Love. And I thought uh, the kind of a strange story about that. See, I went to work for Marty, I think in uh August of eighty of eighty two, yeah, in the you know, what a guy he was, man. He just absolutely was just, a, he was what I call a star star. You know, he he not only played the role, he was the role. And uh, one time I was down there and broke down, my car broke down at, at uh, Shoney's uh, restaurant there, about two, two blocks from the uh, office where I was supposed to meet him. And... Uh, Walk this. I had to walk down there, and he could come walking back up with me, and get crawled under the car, and started working on it, getting greasy and everything. And all them people from the inside seen him, seen him out there. And then the next thing you knew, we had a big crowd out there by a car, and he was working on it, getting greasy. He was a down-to-earth guy, and uh, but we was out there, and I'd sang a, a couple of songs for him. I said, "Well, here, here, I did it a little bit right." So he just absolutely loved it. I think I'd sung him four or five songs. Of it. He said, I want to cut every one of them. So I'll just do them one at a time, you know, in each session. And and then uh, said, kind of bring you into the songwriting uh, realm down here. Because <clears throat> uh, I'd written a song called Baby That's Love, which my brother recorded. Don had recorded on Atlantic Records and the, and uh so uh, when Marty has heard that one, he really liked it. And then he said, uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll record that. Well, then we was out driving around someplace in, in the bus, and I said, hey, Marty, of course, I was just messing with him. I said, I heard you play, you you uh, kind of give a little bit of credence to that, uh, oh, what do they call that, uh, regeneration stuff. Uh I can't think of the name of it now. It's some kind of religion where you uh, reincarnation. That was it. Yeah. Oh yeah. He said, uh, "Yeah." He said, "Well, I said I kind of believe a little bit along that." And I said, "Okay." So I said, "Now, do you remember?" I just started asking. I said, "You remember back when you was riding down the uh, uh, the trail there near El Paso, and 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 some guy in black." all dressed in black slipped out from one of them cliffs there and got into it with you and he shot you he said yeah he said i reckon that was you i said yeah that was me and i said and then i, I said i but i've come to get you again and i said and this time i'm going to get you with a song 
you know, just messing with him. Well, then, then the very last time he recorded was uh, was Baby That's Love. That had that high note in it. And then the next day, he had that heart attack. Uh huh. I was a little prophetic there, but I wish I had to be because I just prophesied myself up a good job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a, a strange thing. And he really, you know, he was going to do every song that I'd written. Uh, soon, as soon as he got a chance to it, and uh, he really appreciated my writing about about like my guitar playing. I was a uh, fairly good guitar player at the time, and uh, uh, so I could do whatever he wanted. You know, play the the El Paso stuff and the, the Mexicali stuff, and uh, uh, didn't have no problem with it. But he was a he was certainly a uh, tremendous artist to get to work for. You know, he was a race car driver, and I like that stuff. Anyhow, I like race cars, and and uh, so we had a lot in common. And Marty was a great singer, you know. And and he played he played the, the like the Hawaiian steel. He with the lap deal, every late he could really do that very authentic and sing the Hawaiian songs and. Uh, it was a trip getting to work for him, but that was such, such a short-lived thing. It's heartbreaking for him to have that heart attack. And I said, oh, no, what do I have to tell him that for? Uh, anyhow, that was just uh, one of those deals. And doesn't your story inter- intersect with the late little Jimmy Dickens? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, now there was a character. Uh, little Jimmy Dickens was a wild little man. I mean, he was funny and uh, uh, just uh, partying constantly. I mean, there wasn't a time, wasn't a minute uh, I ever did think. You know, we'd ride along and in back these back in them days, we'd we travel in a car or a station wagon or something like that, pulling a trailer. It was. Before they the uh, stars got to making so much money they could afford a bus, so uh, you know we'd travel along, just cut up and, and clown around. And uh, uh, he was a Jimmy Dickens was a, well he he was the first one that found Buddy Emmons. He brought him down from uh, Indiana and uh, brought him to Nashville. And, and of course the rest was history as far as steel guitar players. That was the greatest ever. And never will be, as far as I'm concerned. And um, but uh, Jimmy Dickens was a uh, very unique person. Then he had this song, uh, something about the uh, bird of paradise. Made the bird of paradise flap your nose, and so he got a hold of a buddy, and he had to do some TV shows for promotion, and uh, uh, so he got a hold of buddy, and buddy. Recommended us to him, so it was me and Buddy and Don and Arnie was band, and we went did the Johnny Carson show and um, Jimmy Dean show, and uh, I think it was all blue, I believe, and uh, so just did, did those shows with him to promote the uh, 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 the uh, record of Paradise, Bird of Paradise. <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, that was a, he was a tremendously, uh, enthusiastic person. He just, there was no, uh, no, what, no slow speed for Jimmy Dickens. <laughs> he just 
He was on the go. You know, it occurs to me that all of the different people that you've intersected with, I mean, this is quite a cast. You've got everybody from Johnny Paycheck to George Jones, Marty Robbins, little Jimmy Dickens, people known in the television and movie world like Mike Judge. When you take all these different types of personalities, from your observation, what is the best way to live your life? Well, you've got to, uh, somehow or another, you've got to maintain a little bit of common sense. <laughs> you know, of course, I'd, I'd made a statement on the, on the Mike Judge's show. I said the worst thing can happen to it is a hillbilly with a hit record. And so that pretty much speaks <laughs> <for them. laughs> about that. How they react, like, oh, you get these old country boys, and you know, and all of a sudden they're just into the millions of dollars and they don't know what they're doing. You know, just after they buy everything that that, uh, that they ever wanted, you know, new car, new house, and all that stuff, and then they got all that money, they don't know what to do with it. They ain't got a clue, most of them speaking, like Paycheck and George and uh, Jimmy Dickens and a lot of those guys, they just, you know. Get a hillbilly, worst thing can happen is a hillbilly with a hit record. They'll go crazy on you. <laughs> My paycheck was the worst I ever seen. He, he, him and Don, they, they was out there in California someplace. They had to go somewhere and <laughs> paycheck said, well, let's just, uh, just charter a Solar jet and get there. So they'd spent, I don't know how much money doing that. And then, Don said, yeah, I said, we charged the Learjet to take us someplace, and the nearest place that they could get us to where we had to go was 80 miles on the other side of it. Then we had to get a, a taxi to drive us back. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was a riot. Paycheck just didn't have no, no sense whatsoever um, of uh, the value of money and all that stuff. Just... That was the farthest thing from his mind. I mean, if he had enough money to pay the band, he, he was happy. Hmm. And, uh, well, he was a truly, truly the most dedicated uh, country singer that there was. That was his whole life. And, you know, he, just, he, he wanted to do it because he loved doing it. And a lot of them, they just, uh, they were just, uh, you know, it was something for them to do, and they, they realized they could make money. And, uh, you know, who can't sing these days? Uh, they can just about all carry tunes, and, you know, then they've got all this recording techniques and stuff like that for the pitch control. If they hit a bad note in the recording, they can doctor that up so you sound like you're way better than you are. Well, Paycheck was that good without that stuff. So he was, uh, but he, that's all he cared about. He was a true 100% country music. Uh, uh, I would say probably should have been the best representative of uh, the ambassador of country music, as far as I'm concerned. He could do it. He could not only do it all; he did it all. But he just didn't have no common sense. <laughs> and, I mean, tell the truth is the truth. And I was raised up with that idiot, <laughs> so you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no wonder everybody thinks I'm crazy. I said, well, look who I've been around. You know, George Jones and Johnny Paycheck. 
Ray Price and Jimmy Dickens. If that ain't enough to mess your mind up, I'd like to know what is. <laughs> I wasn't created for nothing. It was just a, truly an experience. A whole life, a whole lifetime, my lifetime in, in country music. And, I, you know, I mean, I love all kinds of music. I'm especially a, a, a jazz lover. I love jazz. Country music is the the ultimate music if it's done to, in in the taste of the the, the old uh, standards and you know the old uh, classic country. I don't care nothing for this new stuff. Yeah, I don't even do it. Have no don't have an ear for that. I just sing here rap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always like to let the guest just take the stage at the end. I just. Let them go wherever they want. For anyone who's tuned in, what would you say to them? Well, yeah, I just, I really don't know whether the the, the direction country music is headed is going to uh, going to satisfy anybody like the the classic country that that I grew up in, and uh, you know, it was Ray Price and George and and Merle Haggard and. Uh, those those type people, and on or even on back into Hank Williams and Lofty Frizzell and stuff. That was that was music with a meaning, and today this country music is just totally meaningless. I just, I, I've never been so disappointed in something in my life as to hear hear what they got out there and call that country. I said it ain't the same country I'm from. Anyhow, I would tell I would tell anybody you know if you want to get into it, you you got to go one hundred percent. Now my my problem was I stayed around Greenfield and uh, raised my family and all that stuff there and uh, all of us guys did and we should have just should have moved to Nashville and stayed there but we didn't like the drinking water that Greenfield Ohio had to offer and uh, of course I think that's where we ever all everybody got their talent was this hometown water with a uh, you know, drink from the same spring so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it was, a uh, you know, and if you want to be involved in country music, you just, you got to do like Paycheck did, only try to do it with a little bit of common sense. And uh, just go there and hang out. And, you know, half of that, uh, the, the success in country music is just being there to, at the right time. I know I was walking across the parking lot down there and had a guitar, you know, carrying a guitar case and, Stonewall Jackson hollered out his bus, says, hey, can you play that thing? I said, hell yes, I can play it. <laughs> what do you think I'm doing down here? They said, well, get on the bus, or I need a guitar player. So. <laughs> and I went to tour with him. And, uh, I mean, and that's how you get there. Well, it was just like I walked into Tootsie's there, and Paycheck said, guess who you're playing for? <laughs> well, if I hadn't been there, you know, I mean, that, they didn't have a thing to do with, uh, was I good, or they hadn't heard me. Just I was there at the at the right time, so that's got a lot to do with it. You got to be where the action is, and uh, hmm. I would suggest that uh, you go to Nashville or L.A. or someplace there where they're, they're active, and uh, uh, just find you a job driving a cab or whatever, and just stay stay around and hang around the musicians and find out where the uh, they're having their song pullings is where the all the songwriters will show up and sing and uh, kind of exhibit their wares a little bit and 
you just got to be in that click, and you you get in that click by being where the where the click is, and it's in Nashville. It's not uh, not in Greenfield or or any place in particular. I mean, there's there's just lots of places that kind of spawn the entertainment uh, quite a bit, but the hub of it is Nashville, and that's where you got to be. Just you know, persevere. You know. If you're good, if, if, of course, then there's a thing that you'd think, okay, I'll just get as good as I could get. And then you get down there, and the way it is today, you find out the good ain't got a thing to do with it. They just, uh, the record execs, they just say, let's get this guy. He can carry a tune, and we can make him sound great. And then next thing you know, the there he is on the, in the names up in the lights and stuff. Just like Garth Brooks. I seen something on WLW there the other other day where he had sold out the Cincinnati, the, where the Bengals played, Paul Brown Stadium, which seats 70,000 people. He announced he was going to be there, and in 75 minutes, it was completely sold out. That's 70,000 people. I thought that was kind of, kind of weird. But, I mean, that's, you know, now the country music, as far as financially, it's a... a thousand times better than it was back in our day. Hmm. You know, they get out you get out there and pay for twenty five, fifty thousand on up to hundreds of thousands of dollars and back in the day when George was number one, we play three or four or three hundred at least three hundred days a year and half of it was in Texas going from one club one club to the nut to the next and, and making like um seven or eight hundred dollars a night. And then that's how, you know, he had to pay all the expenses and everything out of that and pay the band. Well, that's why we had to work so much. But, uh, and today, just like I said, they get some $50,000 a show, and that's probably a, a small price to what some of them get. And are they worth it? No. <laughs> I can tell you, I wouldn't pay 10, over $10 to see me, and I'm my favorite country singer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only worth ten. <laughs> they just overrated that stuff. It's unbelievable. There's a lot of uh, as far as training and stuff. There's a lot of little jamborees and things around the country that you know they're they're very elementary in, in learning. But it's you know you need to if you're a young person you need to get involved and 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 find something that that keeps you motivated to where you get pretty good at your craft then head to Nashville but there's always a lot of the little uh, little venues there that you can come across you know uh, jamborees and stuff like that there'd be this five or six of them here in Ohio I'm sure and, and, and then Texas they got so many clubs out there that plays real good country music and and uh, so you just have to decide that's just what I want to do and go for it. That's about all I've got to say, Paul. <laughs> well, Gary, I've really appreciated you sharing with us. Well, it's been my pleasure. If anything, anything that I can say that helped somebody along the way, at least I can add that to my little resume and say I helped him. You know, that's that's what it's all about, really, in the in the. In the long run, there's how many people can you help? Hmm. Well spoken. Thank you. Well, Gary Adams, I hope we connect again. The same here. I'll be looking forward to it. 
All right, sir. I'm glad to hear it. Until next time. Okay. Sounds good to me, and uh, God bless you and everybody that hears your voice. That's very kind. God bless you, too. Thank you. The boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop, bop, ding, daka, ooh, no, I just think it was like a pom, tom, cook, it's a bee, I said, like, bop, got some fucking, tom, 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 goodly, 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 goodly,